0: We started a new series a couple of weeks ago called Perspective. And this series is really about helping us see things differently so that we can live differently. And here's a a definition of perspective. It's a particular attitude or way of regarding something. Or, I like this one, it's a point of view. You see, perspective is the way that you see life. It's the way that that you view things, and that really shapes the way you live your life. It shapes the way you make decisions in life. Your perspective is an important part of your life. Now, sometimes God gives us a different way to look at the circumstances that we're in. To say it another way, sometimes God gives us a different perspective of the problems that we're facing. He allows us to see things we haven't seen before. And when God gives us that new frame of reference, it really many times enables us to have a new faith. For all that we're facing. There's a wonderful story in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open that or turn it on and find 2 Kings chapter 6. In this story in 2 Kings, it really shows us the power of perspective in the midst of our trials. 2 Kings chapter 6, what I really want to do is just kind of walk through the story with you. I just want to tell you the story, basically, and then towards the end of the message, I want to make some application to your life and mine. So we're just going to walk through, verse by verse, kind of tell you the story, and then see how it applies to our lives. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Now, the king of Aram was probably a man named Ben-Hadad II. Aram was the nation just northeast of Israel. Uh, there were a lot of skirmishes between those two countries in that day, and probably what is, what is being referred to here was more border-type uh, clashes than an all-out full-scale war. So we come to verse 9. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. That is, you have this king in Aram saying, I'm going to attack Israel. But there was a man of God in Israel who was speaking to the king of Israel. Let's read that, verse 9. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. In other words, whenever the king of Aram planned to do a border raid, Elisha, the prophet, gave that information to the king of Israel. He warned him ahead of time. And I like what the verse says. Look here on the screen. It says, time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Time and again. In other words, this was not just a one-time occurrence. This was an ongoing situation where over and over and over, Elisha was warning the king of Israel about the imminent attack... From the king of Aram, so we pick up the story in verse eleven. This enraged the king of Aram, uh, Aram, and he summoned his officers and demanded of them, "Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel?" In other words, the king of Aram was so sure that somebody in his camp was speaking to the people in Israel. He was very sure that there was a traitor among him. In other words, in today's language, we'd say somebody's leaking that information. You know, I thought it was interesting as I read that, that an unbeliever always has a worldly perspective because that's the only perspective he can have. And so from his perspective, it had to be somebody in his camp, somebody in his army that was leaking the information uh, to, to the king of Israel. Now, we pick up the story again, looking at verse 12. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. One of Ben-Hadad's officers somehow knew what was going on and he informed the king of Aram that the prophet Elijah was the one who was telling the king of Israel that the prophet Elijah actually had the ability to supernaturally know what the king was saying even in his bedroom. Now, that would be kind of an un, uh, or unnerving type of information to receive to know that there's somebody who has a power in, the, in another nation to actually listen in to what you're saying in your own bedroom, the plans you're making. And so the logical solution would be, okay, let's send an army and kill him. That's not what he did. He did something else that was probably logical as well. He sent a group of people to capture Elijah. Perhaps he wanted to use him as his intelligence information on his other enemies. You know, a guy like that could be useful. So rather than send an army to kill Elisha, he sends the army to capture him. Look at verse 13 and 14. Go find out where he is, the the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. Not kill him, but capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, They went by night and surrounded the city. Look, Look on the screen here. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. Horses and chariots and a big army for one man. To capture one man. Could it be that this pagan king had an idea that maybe there's a power there he's not familiar with? Maybe there's a power in Elijah and with Elijah that he needs to address. And so, he sent an army, a strong force, to go capture one man. Now, pick up the story in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up, that is, the next morning, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. Now you need to understand that when this servant went outside to do his duties that day, the first thing that he noticed was that the entire camp and the entire city was surrounded by this strong force that had come in during the night. And he was absolutely overwhelmed. He was absolutely scared to death. And he goes to Elijah and he says, Oh my Lord, what shall we do? Now he wasn't praying to God, he was talking to Elisha. And he's asking Elijah, what shall I do? Here's the problem that was such a, uh, an issue for him. Because, next slide. This was an unexpected occurrence. When he got up the next day, he didn't get up that day expecting this strong force. It was an unexpected problem that, that, that he faced. But also, not, not only was it an unexpected, it was overwhelming. He saw the army that had surrounded the entire city. And as he looked at that, He was overwhelmed. He didn't know what to do. Have you ever had a time like that where you just didn't know what to do next? Ever had a time like that in your life where the unexpected happened and you were overwhelmed and you just didn't know what to do? And fear gripped you. Anxiety set in. Because you really didn't know what to do next. Well, this is where the story really starts to get good. Look at verse 16. This is what Elisha said. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now that had to sound strange. Elisha looked at him and he said, listen, you just need to calm down. Because those who are with us are more than those who are out there with them. And this servant probably had to look at Elisha and say, do what? Are you serious? I mean, what Elisha said did not make sense, humanly speaking. What Elisha said, had, had, there was no frame of reference that that made any kind of sense to the servant. But Elisha knew something that a lot of us have forgotten or maybe we've never learned. Elisha knew that there was a greater power in the unseen reality of the heavenly host than in the visible reality of the, of the army of Aaron. Or to put it another way, maybe a simpler way. Elisha knew that God was with him and that made all the difference. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Elisha knew that God was with him and that made all the difference. There's lots of examples of this in the Bible, but let me show you one here that from 2 Chronicles 32. You may not be able to read that from your TV screen, but I'm going to read it to you. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. Now, let me give you the context before we go any further. Sennacherib was threatening Jerusalem, and King Hezekiah was speaking here. This was a totally different situation. I just want you to see the same principle. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him, watch this, with him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us fight our battles. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us, we've got God to help us fight our battles. You see the same kind of principle in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 in the New Testament. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I read recently somewhere, and I can't remember who said this or who wrote this, or I would give them credit. But I read recently where one guy said, you know, I would like to go back to the days of the Old Testament and ask Moses, you know, what was it like? when you raised your arms and God parted the Red Sea? Or what was it like, David, when you picked up five smooth stones and you slung one at Goliath and killed him? Or Joshua, what was it like when you marched around the walls of Jericho with no real weapons and the walls came tumbling down? What was that like? And then he said, but those same guys would probably look at me and say, what was it like that the Holy Spirit of God lived in you every day? Boy, that gave me a different perspective. See, when you and I hit something that's unexpected, when you and I hit something that's overwhelming, it's easy to forget that the Holy Spirit of God lives in us every day. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I understand that the fear of the unknown and the fear of what ifs and the fear of defeat or maybe even the fear of death can cause you to forget what Elisha said to his servant back in verse 16. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, this is my favorite part of the story, verse 17. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, Open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. O oh Lord, open his eyes. Not physically. The servant wasn't blind. He wasn't saying open his eyes because he's blind. He was saying open his eyes because he can't see the unseen. Open his eyes and allow him to see What's really around him? Not just the army from the king of Aram, but open his eyes so that he can see the army from the Lord God Himself. It's interesting when Elijah prayed to God what he did not pray. He didn't ask God that God would calm the servant's fears. He didn't ask God that God would give him peace in the midst of panic. That you would, God, this servant is really panicking right now. Would you give him peace in his heart? He didn't pray those kind of things. No, instead, he prayed that God would open his eyes. In response to Elijah's prayer, his servant was able to have a different perspective, wasn't he? He totally, suddenly had a different perspective that I believe he probably never forgot for the rest of his life. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. That is, we walk by faith sometimes in that which is unseen. Faith deals with that which is unseen. We walk by faith. Not by sight. So, with that story in mind, I want to make two applications for your life and mine. First application is this What you can't see is just as real as what you can see. See, the servant was living by sight, not by faith. He couldn't see the Lord's army that surrounded the city. And he became fearful because, from his perspective, all he could see was the army of Aram. All he could see was this problem. That he couldn't sob. He had a limited perspective. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote about this tendency we all have to grow fearful when we when we're facing something overwhelming and unexpected. Look in the Bible. If you put your finger there in Second Kings, look in the Bible over Second Corinthians, chapter four, chapter Second Corinthians, chapter four, verse one. Paul says in verse 1, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now, I want you to key in on this phrase, we do not lose heart. Paul was writing to some people about ministry, and ministry is not always easy. Ministry is sometimes very, very difficult. And Paul says to these people, look again, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, since God has called us to this, God in his mercy has given us this ministry, we do not lose heart. Again, I want you to notice that phrase, loose heart. Now, for sake of time, skip down to verse 7. But we have this treasure, this relationship with God, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. Look at verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The idea behind these verses is the absolute insufficiency of man and the total sufficiency of God. There are times when we're just insufficient to deal with life, but God's sufficiency helps us through life. And so we come to verse 16. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, skipping down to verse 16, look what it says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. There's that phrase again. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then look at what he says on verse 18. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes. In other words, what you can't see is just as real as what you can see. Painful and perplexing problems of life, those are the things you can see. But there's also something that you can't see that is eternal and powerful. That is the presence and the power of God. I want to show you this in in another scripture. Going over to the right to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Great chapter on faith. It says in verse 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Certain of what we do not see. And then to illustrate that point, he goes to Moses in verse 27. Speaking about Moses, he said, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he per- persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, with that those verses in mind, I want to go back to the story of Elijah for a moment. Elijah and his servant. When you go to that story and you start reading about it, you realize that it wasn't the fact that God and his army suddenly showed up when Elijah prayed. They were already there. Elisha didn't pray, Lord, come and help us. Elisha prayed, Lord, open their eyes that he may see. Open his eyes that he may see what's already here. Open his eyes so that he can see that he's not alone. Open his eyes that he can see the power that is around him. Because what you can't see is just as real as what you can see. You know, when I look at this verse, I'm reminded that until we get to heaven, we may never fully know all the times that God has supernaturally helped us. Until we get to heaven, we may never fully know all the times when the unseen power of God around us protected us from what we could see. I love Psalm 125 verse 2. Part of the reason is because I've been to Jerusalem and I can see it in my mind. But Psalm 125 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people both now and forevermore. Now, I've got a question for you. Who is the Elisha in your life? Do you have a mentor or a friend who can see the activity of God in and around your life when you can't see it? Sometimes all we can see is the problem. All we can feel is the fear. And in those times when you don't have faith, you need someone around you who does have faith. In those times when all you can see is the physical, you need somebody around you who also can see the spiritual. It's often difficult for us to see what God's really doing because we get consumed by the circumstances and the moment. So maybe it would be good for you To ask God to send you an Elijah. To ask God to send you someone who can help you see the activity of God around you. It's okay to pray those kind of prayers. Ask God to open your spiritual eyes that you might see Him in your circumstances. And then trust God to give you a new perspective of the problem that you're facing. Now quickly, let me go to the second point of application. Here it is. Your power is inadequate, but God's power is invincible. The Bible says there about Elijah. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. He knew his power was inadequate. But when he saw the horses and the chariots of God, flames of fire in all of that, the holiness of God and all of that, he knew that God's power was invincible. Suddenly Suddenly the servant realized, God's got this. I don't need to fear. God's got this. Now, it's interesting. The problem was still there. The army was still there. He just had a different perspective. He knew that his power was inadequate, but he was just as convinced that God's power was invincible. reminds me of, of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, that says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. This week I had breakfast with a friend, and he said something that was profound. In fact, when he said it, I grabbed my phone immediately, and I wrote it down on my phone. And I told him, I said, I'm going to use that. I just want to go ahead and tell you now. But here's what he said. I want to close with this statement. He said, when we stay in the presence of God, we experience the power of God. But when we leave the presence of God, we leave The power of God. So my question for you today is a very simple one. Have you left his presence? Because when you leave his presence, you leave his power. You need to make sure. You need to make sure that you're walking with the Lord every day. Because you're going to walk out of your house one day and you're going to see the army surrounding you. You're going to walk out of your job one day and you're going to see the army surrounding you. You're going to walk in a hospital room one day and you're going to see the army surrounding you. I just want to be an Elisha for you for just a moment. My prayer for you is this. Lord, open their eyes. Their eyes that they can see. Which is unseen. That which is unseen is just as real as that which you can see. Your power is limited, God's power is invincible. When we stay in the presence of God, we have access to the power of God. And if we leave His presence, We leave his power. We pray with you. Father, I thank you for reminding me just of that unseen world. Sometimes my eyes are so fixed on the problems that I see, the problems that surround me. But remind me, Lord, as it says in, in the book of Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Help us all to walk closely with, you's, with you in these days. Help us all to experience your presence and to experience your power. Thank you that there is an unseen world that you go with us wherever we are. And we can turn to you wherever we are. And we can trust in you wherever we are. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.